Locked On NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we go to Golden State, we go to Houston, and we go to Indiana to speak with the hosts of Locked On Warriors, Locked On Rockets, and Locked On Pacers about their time uh, being a fan and covering their respective teams, favorite players, favorite moments, unsung heroes, all of that stuff. It's all coming up, the biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA. are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back to another episode and another week of Locked On NBA. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast and the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. And we are continuing to go across the Locked On Podcast Network and talking to the hosts of the team shows about their love for their teams, why they cover their teams, uh, unsung players, favorite moments, all of that sort of stuff. So let's get to it. Now I've got the host of the Locked On Warriors podcast here with me, Charles Hamilton. Charles, how long have you been a Warriors fan? You know, I started back around 2000, uh, 2001. I remember when they drafted Jay Rich, uh, Jason Richardson, you know, seeing this guy in the NCAA just throwing down all these sick dunks, and then he won the dunk contest. And when you're a fan of a bad team, you know, it, it gives you something to uh kind of hang on to even though look, like does the dunk contest really matter uh not especially but it still gives you something and so i remember when they drafted him uh and then you know gilbert arenas and all that you, you kind of got little glimmers of hope um and it at least gave you someone to really latch on to so jay rich was the guy and then there was about what seven years of pretty terrible basketball to continue and we all know the history before that as well um, but you know, we believe really just, uh, even with the championships might be my favorite season, um, of all. And I say that might be, you know, cause there's nothing like winning a championship, but, uh, definitely around 2000, 2001 is when I got, got really into them. That's what I was just going to ask you, whether that sort of, um, underdog type season is you know, more impactful, more memorable than, than winning, winning a title, but it, it is hard to go past those titles, but let's talk about the titles then, Charles, which one was your favorite? Was it, was it the first one or was it the, three like, which one was the one that you r- will really latch onto as the most memorable? That's tough. The first one was great. Cause it was, you know, they weren't quite underdogs, but they weren't expected to be in the finals. Uh, I know, you know, Ethan Strauss, the great reporter, uh, was the only one to predict the Warriors. He was with ESPN at the time, predict the Warriors to make the finals. And it was just because, you know, they they were uh, top defense and had an explosive offense and just figured that would be the case. And uh, they they made it. It was a lot of fun. But, man, that 17 team, that first year with Kevin Durant, there's something about just how dominant they were. Uh, what was it? 16, one, 16 and one in the playoffs. And there was a little uncertainty too, because that was when uh, I think KD got injured towards the end of that year. Right. And then um, was able to make it back. Or was it Steph? I know I it was, was Steph. Back, yeah. Okay. So back to back years, I know it happened with the injuries um, where oddly enough, a center 
landed on them and you know they end up making the comeback but you know it, it also i love role players and that team with david west getting his first one the reclamation of javel mcgee um you know clay just it, it all working out I, i'm pretty fond of that that 17 year um so to pick one is tough. It's like picking a favorite kid not that i have any kids but that's what i hear uh, um so it's it's a tie between the first one and then 17 and then look every single one is great 18 was great too but for my own fandom it's it's got to be between those first two so obviously an, an unprecedented run uh, for that team in terms of success yeah the five straight finals the, the three championships there as well and then uh, onto this season where things have been a little bit rough but it's something that, <laughs> that most Warriors fans have had plenty of experience with uh, of being bad for stretches of time so it's not something completely out of the ordinary for the majority of fans you included there Charles who is your um who's your all-time favorite Warriors player you know it's uh it's tough but I and this some people will laugh when I say this or not agree or whatever. But it's Matt Barnes. Um, I just remember wow. that we believed. Yeah, I know, right? I, uh, I I think I at least gravitate towards people who like when I played basketball. Look, there was nothing uh, really finesse about my game. I was a you know dirty work player, and uh, not that I ever made it past CYO or anything. But like that was my game. I was, barely had a jumper ever, um, and I just remember Matt Barnes on that We Believe team with the mohawk and the tats, and he played like a guy who had a mohawk and, and tatted up. And, uh, I, of course, obviously, Steph, Clay, all the superstars are amazing, and, you know, they're some of my favorites. But to go for someone who may be a little underappreciated, um, from Northern California as well, and he, I feel like he represented, um, you know, Oakland in the area for being a guy, being an underdog himself who was, I think he was a second rounder, was on four teams in his first three years. You know, I, I think the story is he was at open gyms with Baron Davis and Don Nelson was there and, you know, invited him to training camp and then turned it into a, a you know, I think, what, 11 more years in the NBA after that. And so, I uh, yeah, I just have a, an affinity for Matt Barnes. But obviously, look, yeah, I'm not saying that the two times, I don't like Steph or anything, you know, obviously love those guys. But as far as someone who's, a little underrated, a little under the radar too. For one of my favorites, it's it's Matt Barnes. In terms of you know Warriors fans and you in particular, um, yeah, Steph and KD, we, we hear these arguments. And did KD ever really get accepted into that team, or were you a fandom, or was he sort of just he's someone here who plays for this team, but he isn't the Warriors as much as someone like Steph is? It's it's tough to it's tough to be more beloved than Steph, um, you know, because he is the guy who's looked at as the one who turned it around. He had that tweet in, what was it, 2000, I forget when it was, but just saying, like, you know, I swear to God, we're going to get this turned around. Like, I'm sorry to the fans. And then, and look, a lot of people put stuff out like out there like that, but when you go on and win two MVPs and a couple championships, like, you're going to be beloved. I, I actually hated a lot of the... Um, responses from fans who didn't like KD and didn't accept him because he came to Golden State. He won championships. He was incredible. So I never understood why there was any backlash or people not really accept, accepting him. Um, I was always a huge fan. And to me, he was a, a warrior and, you know, was part of one of the most dominant teams to ever play. One of the most dominant lineups, the, you know, Hamptons five is, as, as, uh, 
you know, they call it with Steph, Clay, Andre Iguodala, KD, and Draymond. But yeah, there was definitely with some fans a backlash or not quite accepting him, but not 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 for me. I was just happy he was here. Yeah, it's a, it, it is a weird one because there was definitely that backlash. But this is a guy that chose to come there and yeah. won multiple championships with the team. But obviously, there was that you know sort of back and forward uh, with not not with him and Curry, but with people just debating those two and their merits on the team. Charles, you're going to have Warriors content for us all over on Locked On Warriors. So thanks for coming on Locked On NBA with me and uh, giving a bit of insight into your Warriors fandom. Anytime, man. Stay safe. Now let's go to the host, one of the hosts of the Locked On Pacers podcast. Tony East is here with me. And Tony, despite living in Indiana, despite being the host of the Locked On Pacers podcast, you are not a Pacers fan. How does that come to be? That is correct. Well, so when I was younger in Indiana is when the brawl happened, right? 2004. So from a lot of time from, man, 2004 to basically when they got Paul George. So uh, over a half decade, nobody really cared for the Pacers. There was this kind of mentality that the team was was thugs basically like Danny Granger was the only thing people liked about that team for a long time from the brawl team on because Reggie retired right after and this isn't a football show but right after the brawl the Colts were really good the Indianapolis Colts were really good Peyton Manning was just killing people on the field so everybody was football 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 and loves college basketball so the only basketball people were craving was like butler i don't know how many people know about college basketball but um butler's two championship game runs were all the rage and the pacers were just not very good for that time they barely ever made the playoffs so no one really was a pacers fan here uh, myself included uh, i still loved basketball and then finally i got into covering it because 2013-14 right the year after they went to um the conference finals for the first time against the Heat. You know, Paul George had just signed his extension. They were back to being good and fun. That was when I finally got back into, okay, I, you know, I'd always loved basketball, just not the Pacers. I was like, okay, I'm going to start really getting into this and then covering it from then. So someone who is you know, been around the team from a, a covering perspective, but also, again, living in Indiana and being exposed to the Pacers, who is your, who do you think is the best player in Pacers history? Reggie Miller, definitely. I mean, well, and the, so the, the trouble is, like, the best best, does that mean the best for one season or the best career with the Pacers, right? Because, like, Jermaine O'Neal had a year where he was third in MVP, and, you know, Paul George, obviously an incredible player, Oladipo, All-NBA. I mean, Oladipo's not the best, but, like, his peak was really good. You know, you have a lot of, quote-unquote, candidates for the best maybe single season in Pacers history. You'd probably go with uh, 2013 Paul George if you're doing that. But I think longevity of career, just talking NBA, it's Reggie for sure. I mean, he was here his entire career, 15-plus uh, years, made the t- put the team on his back, made him really good, took him to their only finals. Um, was just like They drafted top 10 in 1988, and then they haven't picked top 10 since because basically from Reggie on, they've had such sustained success because he made the team good, made the culture good. So he is for sure the best pacer. If you go back to ABA, you could get Roger Brown or George McGinnis, but – uh, I'm too young to really give you a good grasp on how good those guys were. But I think the answer's got to be Reggie. Yeah, I think that's the case as well. Maybe if we had to have Paul George you know, maybe sticking around a little bit longer, he might have been able to take that level. But I think Reggie is probably uh, probably the, the right answer there. For this, uh, for this Pacers squad now, in terms of you, know, you, you know, being around and watching the team, covering the team, is, is there a player to you that is maybe a little bit underappreciated that you think was better 
than the general populace may have thought of. They People might think that they, this player was bad, but you think that they were actually pretty good and didn't get a fair opportunity. Who's that guy for you <laughs> that you were sort of like, nah, this guy is going to be good. I'm telling you, he's going to be good. Who was that guy for you? Well, there's an active guy right now that I think is going to be really good. I know it's boring to use active players for these kind of questions, but I think Edmund Sumner is just oh, legit. Wow, okay. uh, he... I mean, he's just been hurt so much he can never get consistent rotation time. But that dude is super fast, super athletic. I mean, he was projected lotto pick before he tore his ACL. Now he's got his body back. Uh, it's tough because they have a lot of guards, so getting him playing time is really hard. But when he plays, especially recently, he had an electric game against the Bulls. He's really good. Uh, if you go back in history for the Pacers, Jeff Oster, first name that comes to mind, not that Jeff Foster was ever, like, awesome or anything, never an all-star. Um, but he's really underappreciated. He was really solid for a really long time for the Pacers. And I think that that is an underappreciated thing when you look back on the history of a team. It's just this guy was really good for a long time, and he stayed here for a long time. And I think, you know, we joke about the Jeff Foster fan club all the time and Pacers Twitter as, like, those kind of guys who stick around for a long time and do a lot of things. Danny Granger, only a one-time all-star his year. He was close to 25 points a game, but he had a really long run of just killer play. Uh, injuries totally derailed him from having a better career. There are a lot of guys really in Pacers history you can make the case for. Chuck Person, uh, Rick Smits. Brad Miller was an all-star when he played for the Pacers, but he was only here one year. Ron Artest, even. I mean, he was really, really good. Multi-time all-star uh, who wasn't here that long, but he could play any role. There's a lot of guys you could make the case for. Jeff Foster played all 13 seasons in Indiana. So yep. that's uh, the fact that he played 13 seasons is pretty amazing. But he's almost, uh, it's like a, a Nick Collison type for the uh, for the Pacers, the, the way that Collison was for the Thunder playing yes, all years. that's exactly right. Just being that guy that, that plays his role, um, plays that backup sort of big man role, and is just there and is, is the team basically for that you know, a decade plus uh, that he played in the NBA, just always there and is always going to be associated with that squad. It's for, a really, really good pick. For 13 years, they never had to worry about backup center, like yeah. ever. It's just like, okay, we'll just throw out Jeff Foster. Great, we got quality backup center play. We're done. That's really helpful when you're building a team to just know that no matter what. Great, we have someone good who was really going to try hard on the glass. And, and, you know, I mean, the Pacers have kind of been built on these effort guys for forever, and he's one of them. Who to you? is a player that, that played for the Pacers that you thought was destined for bigger things that never got there? Hmm. I love these kind of questions. Uh, Anthony Johnson's one, or Anthony Johnson, what am I saying? Jonathan Bender's one. They drafted him out of high school. He got hurt a million times. He was supposed to be the truth. Uh, never turned into anything really here. He was on the finals team, barely ever played in the finals. Uh, I'm sure if Ron Artest didn't get in the brawl, he would have been destined for Pacers greatness they wouldn't have had to trade him away uh he could have stayed for longer um no one really from 05 to probably 2011 fits that bill because that was a lot of you know picking up the pieces from the brawl moving forward redoing the culture things like that that's why Foster being on the team for all that time was so important uh, let's see 2010 onward is there anyone who I thought was destined for greatness not really I mean they've drafted pretty bad since Paul George uh, so there weren't really any, really any picks that I was like, oh, this guy's going to be awesome or anything. So there aren't a ton of them, uh, to be fair. I think Ron Artest might be the best answer because he was, I mean, he had a legit career. He was really good. He just had to get traded for other reasons. What did you make of the drop-off of Roy Hibbert? Oh, uh, that was so bizarre because there was just so much off-court stuff happening. And there was like a long-time joke where 
you know, you could just pick a random screenshot of time out of any Pacers game, and there was like a 50% chance Roy Hibbert would be laying on the ground. Like it, it just made it made no sense how he went from this just complete monster changing the game with his defense, pushing the heat because they don't have an answer for Roy Hibbert to, oh, you know, he's out of the league and he's only whatever now, 33, right? And he's a coach already. It's like, yeah. how did this happen so fast? He was a total stud. And then he kind of lost his rebounding and they got Bynum in the door. You know, the, the very unheralded Andrew Bynum Pacers era. He only played two games. But I I think that really screwed up his mentality. You know, they, they had this other guy come in and Bynum had a beastly two games. And Hibbert had to think his spot was in jeopardy despite being a two-time All-Star. I'm sure that didn't sit well with him. And all of a sudden, things changed mentally for him. And he never was the same. You know, he, he stopped being as good on the glass. Uh, he Again, he was on the ground a lot. Just th- things changed for him so quickly. All of a sudden, he was gone. Yeah, that was a, a real wild drop-off from Hibbert, who went from, you know, 30 minutes a night, two blocks a game, 13 and nine to averaging you know, five rebounds in 23 minutes in that season. And then went to the Lakers and he's playing with the Nuggets. It's just a, a weird, weird time for Roy Hibbert. Uh, Tony, thank you for coming on and talking about your history with the Pacers with me here on Locked On NBA. And of course, if you want to hear more Pacers content, Tony will have that for you over on Locked On Pacers. Thank you, Tony. Thanks, Josh. I'm joined now by the host of the Locked On Rockets podcast. Jackson Gatlin is here with me. Jackson, how long have you been a Rockets fan? Um, basically since I could walk. I mean, I'm Houston born and bred to the bone. So that's a I can guess uh, that, that's quite a quite a long time of uh, of, uh, of history with this team. Were you, were you around for the uh, the championships in the nineties? I was not, and so it's kind of you know it's kind of got this weird essence you know we've done some throwback episodes and we've been doing some rewatches of some of the championship runs you know amongst rockets twitter trying to generate some of that community feeling and it's fun being able to go back and like i've seen the film and i've watched the games before but i wasn't there when it was actually happening so it's really cool to be around others who were there when it was happening and kind of watching them share some of their memories about you know and like going back to even like my father who was you know there for the parade and you know he you know experienced all that so hearing some of his stories and memories about all of that it's really great for the the younger generation of rockets fans and you know rockets media members people covering the team to kind of look back on those things so what's really your first memory of the rockets what team was it that you really started getting into you know watching and and watching games and and being sort of fully absorbed into the team Oh, it, it has to be Stevie Franchise. So, I mean, Stevie Franchise, Katino Mobley, and then, you know, they drafted Yao Ming. And, you know, basically that was my first real dive into the Rockets. You know, I love Steve Francis growing up. And then, right, the Rockets make the big splash trade. They bring in T-Mac. They bring in Tracy McGrady. And so those those were the teams that I grew up on and, and absolutely fell in love with and helped me kind of cultivate my love for basketball. All right, so that's sort of you know, uh, early 2000s type of basketball, that Yao Ming, uh, McGrady era, which of course was fantastic, but never was able to result in a championship. Unfortunately, no championships for Houston since that, uh, since that, uh, those seasons in the mid-90s. Um, what about the, the recent teams? How do you compare the, the Chris Paul, James Harden type squads versus those McGrady and Francis and Ming uh, teams? Do you have a, a certain affinity for one over the other? You know, it's so... 
I think there's there's definitely like a nostalgia factor when you think about the teams that you like grow up with. And uh, I've been asked this question before, not specifically about basketball, even other sports where it's like, hey, what's your favorite jersey or what's your favorite player? And I think there is an inherent bias where you kind of have this nostalgia factor where you think back to your childhood. And so I think I'm always going to have a certain affinity for those late 2000s Rockets teams, even though they were never able to get over the hump. But just, you know, what T-Mac and Yao were able to do when they were on the court together healthy, Shane Bad in the later years, uh, Louis Scola, Carl Landry, Chuck Hayes, Dikimi Mutombo, just all those, t- you know, all those guys, they will always hold a special place in my heart. So it's kind of hard to compare them to the recent iterations of this team. But, you know, the recent iterations of this team have looked really good. I mean, you post a franchise best 65 win season with Chris Paul and James Harden. That's kind of hard to uh, to not also kind of, sh- you know, appreciate and it's in its own way. Who's your favorite all-time Rockets player? Uh, that's that's a really tough question. Um, you know, it has to be. I here's the thing: is you know, I made it through the T Mac Yao era, and you know, it started as probably Steve Francis. I'm gonna have to go. I'm gonna have to go with James Harden because you've basically been able to watch James Harden develop from you know being a sixth man of the year with Oklahoma City. He comes to Houston. He's given kind of the the keys to the franchise, and you watch him grow into what is now you know a year in year out MVP caliber player. And as much as I did love T Mac and Yao, you know they were never quite on the level that James Harden was at or is at. I should. Yeah, because uh, Harden, Harden is still obviously producing at the at that current uh, current level, uh, and this current team with uh, with Russell Westbrook. In terms of a player who you you may have, you know, really believed in or think was significantly better than the, the general populace, who's that guy that you unabashedly would stand for over others that have played for the Rockets? <sighs> um, and we're talking. Are we talking current team or just over the years? Just over the years of your your history following the Rockets. Who's that guy for you? Honestly, I'm gonna have to go with. And he did get a lot a lot of adoration from the fans. You know, I'm gonna go with Aaron Brooks. You know, I think he's a guy that if he didn't have that injury, and I remember watching the injury happen live, and it's still that moment stays with me because Aaron Brooks was poised to be you know a significant piece of the Rockets for years to come. Kind of in the uh, in the waning of the T-Mac Yao era, Aaron Brooks was given the keys to the car and he was going to be that guy. He injured himself. It was, I remember it was just before halftime against the Spurs. He, he was so lightning quick, got up the court, slipped right past Manu Ginobili and tried to heave up like a half court three right at the buzzer. And he pulled, I want to say it was an Achilles or a hamstring or something. And he was never the same after the injury. And, he is a guy that I was so excited about his future with the team. And it really that I, I think there's a lot of what ifs in Houston sports history, obviously about the championships, the T-Mac Yao era, the Chris Paul hamstring. But I think that Aaron Brooks is a kind of a big what if to see what he could have developed into the kind of player he could have been. He had that one season in 2009-10 where he played 36 minutes a night. The, the year after that, we saw Kyle Lowry move into the starting lineup and play the bulk of those minutes. And then Brooks was relegated to to backup role um, you know, and bouncing around the league. He, he went to Phoenix for a season. He was with the Bulls for a couple of seasons. And then uh, this current season, he was down in Australia and then uh, tore his Achilles. He playing for uh, uh, the Illawarra Hawks, uh, Lamelo Balls former team slash future team that he's going to look to be owning it looks like uh, in the future so he was down here watched him play a game this season he looked pretty good but then yeah tore his Achilles there and at the age of I think he's almost 34 that is uh, that's not looking great for the the rest of Aaron Brooks's uh, professional basketballing career 
Jackson, thanks for coming on and having a bit of a chat with me about your Rockets fandom and the Houston Rockets in general. And anyone who wants to hear about the Rockets in more detail can go ahead and check out Locked On Rockets. Jackson will have it covered for us all over there. Thanks for coming on Locked On NBA. Absolutely. Thank you, Josh. And that will do it for another episode of Locked On NBA. Make sure you are subscribing. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. And you can always give us a five-star rating and review. That is a great way of helping out the show. Once you're finished listening to this episode, why don't you tell your smart device to play today's episode of Hollinger and Duncan right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Follow me on Twitter at RedRock underscore Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.